Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. So Philippians 3, and I'm going to see if I can't fix this home here. So Philippians 3, no, still there, still there. something here. Hopefully that's not translating to those of you guys joining us online, but it's an interesting little hum in the building. Maybe that does it. Yep, that did it. All right, so we're going to be in Philippians 3, and we're going to be in the in, uh, looking at Paul's words. So, so what he's already told this church, if, if you remember back with me over the last few weeks, is um, he's kind of given them some encouragement. Uh, he's also kind of given, chastised them just a little bit and said, hey, you know, you guys are doing great. I thank God all the time when I hear about your faithfulness and your, your love for one another. But here's some things I want you to kind of grasp. Um, and about having humility and do gets into this discussion um, last week where he's talking about having humility and doing things for others. Uh, we are, um, that's not lost on us today, and we talked about that a little bit last week. And this week, Paul goes into that just a little bit more to talk about um, the reason why he, do, he does these things and why he is engaging in this conversation. And so what has happened is there are these group of people who were Jewish or who were Christian converts who converted to Christianity through folks who had a Jewish background. And they came in and they said, okay, this is, uh, and, and a lot of Paul's letters deal with this because it's something the early church really dealt with because uh, for, the, for the Christian, it, Jesus was just a continuation of what God had promised them. Jesus was the coming Messiah that was promised they have been looking for, and some people believed it and some people didn't. Now, there's an interesting documentary, or not, that's a, that's a way wrong word. There's an interesting little drama on Netflix right now. Um, well, the first season's been out for a couple months, and you know who knows how long it takes to get those things continuing. It's called Messiah. And the interesting thing is it puts the viewer and it puts the people in the, in the, um, in the drama into the show in this place of saying, is this guy for real? Or is he crazy? Now, as Christian believers, we believe Jesus was that Messiah. Is that Messiah and will always be that Messiah. But this show, I think uh, one of the things it does that's really interesting and really uh, fascinating is it puts you in the place. Like you can kind of feel that. You know, sometimes as believers in Christ, especially if you were anything like me, and I know not everybody here in this room or everybody listening and watching online is like me, but I grew up. I mean, that's all I ever knew. And so sometimes it can kind of become commonplace. Yeah, Jesus is Messiah. I've known that. I've known that since I was uh, old enough to know. Uh, whether I believed it all the time was a different story, but I've known it as long as I've been able to know. And, this, and so I, there's never really been a question. And so it's really interesting to be put in this place of seeing this story unfold from the perspective of people who are saying, this guy either seems crazy or it's kind of like the C.S. Lewis line. He's either a liar 
he's either a lunatic or he's the Lord. And so it puts, and so this is what happened. And so the Jewish community is forced into this place of they've been wanting this Messiah forever. And now it's like, okay, is this guy, was this guy crazy? Was he, was he off his rocker? Was he just lying to us? Was he a con man? Or was he the Lord of all creation? And so the believers who were there, and, and we see Paul's story because Paul was one of those people who said this guy was one of the first two. And so I'm going to go and persecute his church because it's absolutely against everything I've ever known. And God changes his life. It helps him realize, no, I am the Lord. I am the Messiah. I am the chosen one. And so the Jewish community is now forced in this place. Okay, well, we've had this, these thousands of years of laws. If Jesus is the Messiah that was promised, but we've been following these thousands of years of laws upon laws upon laws and certain festivals and certain things, it's only right that the people who are now believing that Jesus is the Messiah are also doing those things. And what Jesus did was Jesus came to kind of um, not, and what Jesus' word, we'll use his own words. He said, I did not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. I am now the fulfillment of this. You do not need anything else other than me. You do not need the law any longer because I have come, I have fulfilled it, and not that it made it wrong or bad, it served its purpose, and I am the fulfillment of that. In fact, Jesus came and said, here, I'm going to sum up the law for you guys. Love God and love your neighbor. And if we go back through Leviticus and Deuteronomy and start with the Ten Commandments and flow through all the laws that kind of were created, they can boil down into those handful of things, loving those two things, loving God and loving other people. And Jesus all the miraculous. They, some of them even experienced his raising from the dead or him after he raised from the dead. And now they're wrestling with this. Like, what do we do? And so some believers in the, and the disciples who are Jesus said, is Christ and Christ alone, and that's all you need. But there were some other people who still were kind of had that thing from their previous. You, know, you got to, yeah, but you got to be circumcised, which was the big issue in the church in Galatia. Uh, you got to be circumcised. You got to follow the festivals. You got to do all this other stuff. So it's Jesus Christ plus all this other stuff. And Paul's coming in and said, no, it's none of that. And so what Paul is doing here at the very beginning of chapter three, and really uh, the, the scripture we started this morning picks up in four, but I do want to read the first three verses as well. So hear these words from Philippians three. It's what we didn't read. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about the, the, the Judaizers, the ones who were trying to throw the Jewish. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus. And although I have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of Israel, born of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that's in the law, I was blameless. And so Paul is taking this game that these Judaizers are playing by saying, hey, it's Jesus plus all this other stuff. And he's saying, you're trying to add something to it. Let me tell you what. 
you haven't done it anywhere close to as good as I've done it. And he lays out his credentials. Circumcised, I was circumcised. Not only was I circumcised, I was circumcised on the right day. As we go back through the law, it says circumcised the newborn males on the eighth day. And he said, I was that. I know what tribe I came from. There's no question. Like, I'm not, I'm not just a Jewish guy who's converted to Judaism and now believes in Jesus as Messiah. Like, I, I'm from the family. In fact, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I can trace it back. I know my ancestors. As far as um, the law, righteousness according to the law, following the law, so I've done all of it. He's kind of like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what do I need to do? And Jesus said, well, follow the law, follow the Ten Commandments. He's I've done all that since the day I was born. Jesus gave him another option, another thing. Okay, you've done that, great. You've got that nailed, sell everything you have and give to the poor. Then come follow me. He went away sad. Paul is basically saying the same thing that rich young ruler said, except for he's, followed, he's left it all. He's saying, I've done it all. I know the tribe. I was circumcised on the right day. I follow the law fastidiously. Like nobody's done anything more than me. Now, there may be some equal, but you couldn't do more because I've done it exactly the way I was supposed to do it. And as far as zeal, I was so zealous that I was persecuting the church. So Paul's taking the Judaizers game that they're trying to play against these new converts and trying to mess with their mind and do this thing. He says, I'm playing your game and I'm, and I'm one-upping you. I'm upping the ante here because I've done it better than any of you guys. Paul's saying, I can play this game and I can play it better than you. And that's who Paul was. And he's, so he's laying out his credentials. Paul does this quite frequently when he's writing. Not so much to brag about who he is because we actually get the exact opposite here in the following scriptures, which we're about to jump to. But he does this to, set, to basically give some street cred and say, hey, I know what they're trying to tell you. I know this stuff. And let me tell you what Christ has done. And so that's what he does. He goes in to, after he said and laid out all his credentials, then we get to verse 7, and he says this, But everything that was gained to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung. Some of you guys may have a translation that says worthless. Um, this really, dung was really the appropriate uh, translation. In fact, it was a curse word. You can get creative in your brain with that. This podcast will be recorded, so I'm not going to, but it was a curse word. The word was scubula. And it was not just worthless. I consider it excrement on the ground. That's every, all this stuff I've laid out, that's all I, that, that is what I count it as for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. Paul looks at his Christian faith like a profit and loss statement, like a balance sheet for, for a business. And on, and on the profit side for a long time in his life, he had what? Circumcised on the eighth day, Right? Check, that's, a, that's an asset for me. That's good. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Another asset. That's fantastic. I'm zealous. I was a Pharisee. Like I was a part of the most uh, um, conservative tribe. That I knew everything. And these were all in his prophet. 
side. And Paul is now saying all those have been pushed over onto the, onto the debit side. It's no longer a credit. I consider it a loss and on this balance sheet. And on the other side is Christ, and he is worth all of this loss. All this stuff that I once thought was all these assets I had and all this credit I had is now nothing to me. And that is the message that Paul is bringing to them is saying, hey, all the stuff that you're trying to build up and say, hey, this is how good I am. This is why I'm so good because I'm doing all this stuff. Hey, I, I converted to Christianity. I, start, I started going to this new little house church in Philippi. I converted to Christianity. Guess what? I even got circumcised. Guess what? I'm now following all these things. I'm doing all the festivals. So I believe in Jesus and all this stuff. And Paul's saying that is no asset. That is no credit. It's all loss. It's all dung. It, is the word. It's, it matters no more than that. What, what do you do when you, when you step in that, right? It's just wiped off onto the floor, onto the mat, washed off. It's pushed away. I have a dog. I pick it up and take it to the trash dump every week. Not the dog, but his excrement. Sometimes I wish it was the dog. Paul's saying that is what all this other stuff means is nothing compared, the NIV is flooding my brain right now, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. That that is it. Nothing else. Heather and I and Willie were talking about a book that she read this morning that I gave to her, that Willie gave to me, uh, that kind of talks about this this idea is in the church, we put a lot of other things on the asset column, right? Like we put all these, we pile all these things up and, uh, you know, salvations or baptisms or how many came to the VBS or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you guys know the stuff, the, the offering, the amount of money we're able to give to the poor, whatever it is that we're putting on the asset column. And Paul's saying, all of this is worth nothing. In fact, all I want to do and all I want you to do is just know Jesus, to know Christ and know him crucified. Will that drive us to create disciples and have baptism? Absolutely. Will that drive us to give money to the poor? Absolutely. In fact, when the disciples finally met Paul in person, they said, hey, we see the Holy Spirit's working. You're doing great work. You know, it's not God has not called us to the Gentiles, but he's called you and doing great work. The only thing we're going to ask is that you remember the poor, right? So yeah, will we get? Yeah, we'll we'll absolutely do that stuff. Will we? Will we maybe have VBS for little kids so that they can come in? Yeah, we'll do all that stuff, but not because we're piling stuff on an asset column in a profit and loss statement, but because Christ Jesus that we have come to know has transformed us so much. And this is what Paul is trying to get this church to realize, because there are people in that church who are saying, "Hey." you got to know Jesus, and we want you to know Jesus. He's the Messiah, and he's doing all this stuff about it. And Paul's saying, you should add all this stuff on there, and that's going to be really good for you. You do all this stuff. You should be proud about it. And Paul's saying, you shouldn't. The only thing you should be proud about is that you know Jesus, and he's transformed and changed your life. And then Paul gets down to what, for a long time in my life, was part of my, was some of my favorite scriptures, and still is. But early on, like, if I was to say what my favorite scriptures is now, uh, I would probably say John 15. But if you'd asked me 25 years ago when I was in college or late high school, I would have said Philippians 3, 
12 through 14. And Paul gets down into that. But he starts out, verse 12. Well, let me just read verse 10 and 11 one more time. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul's saying, I'm putting all the stuff in my asset column. I mean, in my debit column, the only thing I want in there is Jesus. And I want to know him so much that I want to even have the fellowship of his suffering, some of your translation says. That I want to have that so that I can know all that Christ went through. So that I can, if that's what's going to take for me to experience Christ fully, that's what I want. Sounds very different from the gospel that a lot of us want, right? Like, I want the. I want the good stuff, right? I want the blessings pressed down, shaking together, and overflowing in the way that the pastor who told me that when I was a young kid meant it, right? And that was financially. And that was good health. And that was all this good stuff. And Paul's saying, I don't, if God blessed me that, great. But if it means me having to suffer this much to know Christ, that's what I want. And then he goes on in verse 12. And he says this, not that I've already reached the goal or have already been made perfect in it, which is a profound statement from a guy like Paul, right? How did the church view Paul? They viewed Paul as a guy who had already made it. Like, that's who I want to be like. Hopefully, you have had spiritual mentors in your life. I certainly have. Uh, One was my granddad. One was a guy named uh, Donald Mitchell. Both men formed me in lots of ways spiritually. Neither one were perfect. I can see that now, but in the midst of those moments, especially as a, or in my early to mid-20s, they pretty much seem to be in a lot of ways. Like, that's what I want to be like. And Paul's basically saying, you know, I just told you that you want to know Christ and Christ to be the transforming power in your life, not me. And so Paul makes that very clear to the church right off the bat. And he's only a couple sentences removed from listing all his credentials, right? But now now he's saying, but not that I've already obtained what I want or have already been made perfect, which is a transforming statement because a lot of leaders want you to believe that they are there, right? And Paul's not, he doesn't shy away from that. If you go to the book of Galatians, he tells the, the, the church in Galatia, hey, become like me. But he does it in a way to say, because I'm becoming like Jesus. I'm not yet there, but I'm being transformed by him every day, right? He's telling the church in Philippi the same thing. I'm not, I'm not there. Don't look to me. He doesn't say that specifically. But he does say, not that I've yet obtained all this or have already been made perfect. I'm not. That was uh, maturity and humility at its finest from Paul by saying, I'm not, I'm not there. I'm nowhere close. But he's saying that's not stopping me from trying, right? So he's saying that I'm not there, but I'm still pressing forward towards the goal that God has called me to. Verse 12, not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I've also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. 
Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing that I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. I've not yet made it. I'm not yet perfect. But one thing I do is every day I'm striving for that. Forgetting all the stuff that's behind me. In fact, all the stuff that was that looked really good yesterday, that's behind me. All the stuff that looked really bad yesterday, thank God that's behind me. I don't have to beat myself up and I also can't live on yesterday's successes. Every day I'm striving to reach that goal. I won't ever get there. How do we know that? Because it doesn't say that in English translation. So the word, and I don't know translation you're reading from from the translation I'm reading it says this take hold of it okay uh, other translations not to uh, obtained it um, other translations say other things that word I'm trying to I'm trying to in my brain remember what it says in the, some other translations I've obtained all this or have already made perfect one thing I do taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So in one translation, it says, if your translation says two different words there, from obtained and take hold of, they're the exact same word. And the idea was in one, Paul's saying, I've not yet done this, but Christ has done this. And it's the exact same word. And we don't really have a great translation in English, but the way it was written in Greek they understood what Paul was saying. It was the exact same word. He's saying, this is what I'm trying to do, but Christ has done it for me. This is what I'm striving for, but Christ has done it for me. And so our translations, now this translation says take hold of in both places. Yours may say something different. The NIV, I know, says something different. The King James says something different. Um, but the idea is that it's the exact same word, that what I'm trying to do every day, Christ has already done. And there was this theological position that Paul's making of saying that just because Christ has done it, it doesn't remove me from striving for it. And just because I'm striving for it, it doesn't give me credit because Christ has already done it. Does that make sense? Because there's some Theological views that say, well, if Christ has already done it, why bother, right? I just sit back, relax, and let Christ do it all. In some ways, that sounds really good. And we talk about having freedom and letting God do this kind of thing. But Paul's not saying that. Paul's saying, no, no, no. Christ has done it. Christ has done in me what I'm trying to do, but every day I'm waking up striving for that. Every day I'm waking up trying to get there. I know that Christ has already done it, and so I'm not going to do it on my own because Christ's already done it for me. But it's both Christ already doing it and Paul not doing it for himself, but also putting the onus on, on Paul of saying, every day I'm trying, though. I'm letting the Holy Spirit transform me. I'm, do, I'm trying to do the right things. I'm blowing it every day, and Christ has already done it for me. I'm not already been made perfect, but I'm waking up every day striving for this thing wanting to know Christ more and more. So it's putting all the power on what Jesus has already done without taking away the importance of us moving forward. It is that same thing where James writes about later when he says, well, we got to have faith in what Christ does, but faith without works is a dead faith. 
Paul's basically saying the same thing here. He's saying, I'm not there yet. I'm not going to be there. Christ has already done it. And because of Christ, Jesus, God looks at me as if I'm already perfect. And so I could just stop right here. But I'm not because every day I'm waking up and I'm trying to do that. I'm, try, I'm striving for it. But Christ has already done it for me. All Paul's efforts at holiness after the work of the gospel and the eventual goal of resurrection are not a matter of his unaided effort to do that same thing which will make God pleased with him. And T. Wright wrote that, and what he's saying is Paul's trying, but he knows it's not. He's even writing in such a way to let the reader know that it's not without Christ doing it in him. So even though he is doing the work physically of trying every day to not fall and not sin and to love more and to do all this stuff, he knows he can't and he needs the Holy Spirit to do it in him. It was this pastoral moment where Paul is being very humble and very transparent saying, man, this is what I want. I want it so much that all this other stuff I count as loss. But I can't get it without Christ doing it in me. And he has done it in me. But every day I'm waking up and I'm striving for it. And that is the position that we as a church as individual believers, find ourselves in of being people who have to make the decision every day when we wake up. Am I just going to sit back and rely on God's grace, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer really would have labeled cheap grace by saying God has done this and now I'm just trampling. Believe it, you're going to by saying, well, since you've already given me grace, I'm just going to go out and do whatever I want because I believe that you're going to forgive me. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, that's cheapening grace. Paul's saying, don't do that. Wake up every day. Make a decision every day to say, I am going to try to live this day perfect. Knowing at the end of the day, I can't. And even if I did, it would only be because Christ did it in me and not because I did it. Because Christ has already taken hold of me. But I'm trying to take hold of it. And it's this, it's this idea that the Christian is not... Um, a group of people who can just take their hands off and say, well, Jesus, you just we put it in cruise control and you just kind of do everything. And we're just going to rely on you um, and we'll just do whatever we want until the end of days and trusting that ultimately we'll have salvation. Paul say no, every day, waking up, striving to know Christ more, praying, seeking the Holy Spirit, letting yourself be led. Yes, it is God controlling us if we are following God in such a way that we are seeking him daily. But I can wake up every day, put my life on cruise control and not seek God one time. At the end of the day, if nothing bad happened, thank you, God, for taking care of me. I didn't seek you at all. You didn't let anything bad happen. Fantastic. Let's do this again tomorrow. Help me not die while I'm sleeping. Amen. Head on to the next day. Or, we can wake up every day and say, God, I wasn't good yesterday. I wasn't perfect yesterday. I want to be there. Help me. Give me opportunity to show you. Give me opportunity to love you. Give me opportunity to spread your kingdom everywhere I go. And when we blow it, knowing that Jesus has already done it for us, but yet every day we're trying. We're trying to get there. And that was the message that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi to say, and do away with all this silliness. Quit trying to do all this stuff on your own. Christ has done it for you, so I'm counting it as a debit now instead of a credit, but every day I'm going to wake up trying my best to follow the Holy Spirit, to follow Jesus where he's leading me, and to do the things that he's doing in me. And we see that in Paul because Paul very freely says, I can eat what I want. I can drink what I want. 
I can do what I want to do, but guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to make myself a slave to Christ. I was once a slave to sin, and now I'm going to be a slave to Christ, and I'm going to do all these things, not because anybody's making me, but because this is what I want. I want to know Christ so much and so deeply that I count everything in my life as just loss. And so my prayer for you and me this week for our life is that we don't count anything as a credit other than what Christ has done in us. And, and let me tell you, Paul bragged about that a lot. Paul bragged about what Christ did in him a lot. Not, hey, guess what I did? I started, you know, 18 churches and saw people come to faith, but he's like, this is what Christ has done in me. This is what I boast in. This is what I brag about is what God has done in me. And because he did it in me, he did it through me, right? There's this moniker, what God intends to do, what God has done to you, he intends to do through you. And that's exactly what happened to Paul. What God did to Paul, he did through Paul to bless other people. But Paul understood that it was nothing that he was doing. It was all that he was doing was counted as loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. So this morning, we get to come together and worship God. We're going to sing a couple more songs. They're going to be a little more upbeat this morning, knowing that God is, well, kind of, knowing that God has done good things for us. He's blessed us. He's taken care of us. On the way in this morning, I don't even, I was telling the worship team this morning, I don't even know why. I can't remember where my brain was going. I was kind of tired. I stayed up too late Friday night, or too late for me Friday night. And then got up real early uh, yesterday. Uh, I was cooking a brisket yesterday. So I was uh, up real early. And, um, and I was just kind of tired. So I don't know if my brain was zoned out. Maybe yours does that if you're tired. I don't know what was happening. But I was driving down. Um, I can't remember the name of the road. But I was driving down this road on my way here. And I got almost to the end of it. And for some reason, I don't even remember where my brain was tracking. But my brain was just flooded with these remembrances of what God did in our family when Ben was born and the moment of bringing him home and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, man, God, if you can do that, which seemed like certain death, which seemed like certain uh, horrible end, and yet you had this beautiful ending to it, why am I worried about all this other stuff? Like, this is ridiculous. This makes no sense. And that is kind of the place that God wants us to be in constantly is remembering what he has done. Remember, we talked about the Israelites crossing the Jordan, what they do on the other side, 12 stones. Why? To constantly remember what God had done for them, how God had done this. Paul does this all the time in his writings. Like, this is one thing I used to have, no more, and this is what God has done, and it's been fantastic. So this morning we get to come and worship God because of all those fantastic things that he's done in our lives. But before that, we're going to pray. After we pray, we're going to say the creed together, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, it's basically the basic things that we believe in Christianity. That there's one God who created all. He sent his Son, and he sent his Holy Spirit. And because of that, they form us, and they form the church. And So we'll, we'll say that together. Uh, but let's pray to the God who has done such wonderful things in our lives and who every day does wonderful things, but yet we don't quit striving to be obedient to him daily. Let's pray.
God, we are thankful that we do have freedom in you and we don't have to work our fingers to the bone to please you. And that is freeing. But God, we also know that you haven't called us to just sit on that and be lazy. God, you allow us to be members of your kingdom and you give us a job that we can do to love you and to love other people. And that plays itself out with actions. And so every day, God, may we wake up striving to obtain perfection. And every night when we go to the bed and we realize we didn't, may we also have praise and thanks on our lips that through your son, we have already obtained that. And may that be the tension we find our lives in daily. It's waking up striving, but also with gratitude, knowing that you've already done it for us. So God, we are thankful for what you have done in us. And God, we pray that what you have done to us, God, that we would allow you and your Holy Spirit to do through us to bless others. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.